So welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kirsta, and today I'm going to be talking with Alan Crawford, who is a psychotherapist and a counselor. I'm excited for this conversation. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's good to be here. I thought it'd be a good way to start by you giving listeners uh, an introduction about who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, So I'm a counsellor and a therapist in private practice here in Liverpool in the UK. And I work with men and women uh, to help themselves to understand, heal and grow, which is kind of the way I describe the work that I do. And I guess to me what that means is understand as in to better understand themselves to understand how they feel why they might feel that way and to understand the patterns habits and addictions that sometimes keep us stuck uh, how they kind of show up in their lives in the relationships the healing part is about trying to heal that unprocessed pain the kind of trauma attachment issues and unmet needs that lie beneath so much of our suffering you know for all of us and the, the struggles that we face often going back to a basic sense of not being enough, of kind of core shame. There's something wrong with us that we're inadequate or lacking in somewhere. And the growing part is about trying to grow towards our fullest expression of who we are, towards our full potential as actualized, integrated people. Um, that's a long answer. <laughs> yeah, that's, That sounds really interesting. And that's, that's a lot we can talk about there. And I think maybe we can start by um, what what drew you to this work of counseling? How how did you start? I think um, like many people in the kind of therapy or coaching world, or maybe even the helping professions in a wider sense, I was drawn into it initially through the gate of suffering, through trying to deal with my own shit, you know, being being kind of brought to my knees by some emotional distress and difficulties I was facing in my own life. Um, and that started, I guess, in, in my early 20s. Um, I went through a really difficult period of depression and addiction. And um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds a bit strange to say, almost a bit pretentious, but it, it felt very much at the time like an existential crisis of sorts or some kind of um, quarter life crisis maybe or something. But it was like, yeah, well, Essentially, I'd always felt separate, always felt different, always felt on the outside of things. Like there was something about life and the game of life that didn't connect for me, that I didn't fit, that there's something maybe wrong with me. Um, and I believed, I think, that when I went to university, it would be different, that maybe finally I'd fit in, finally I'd find the right kind of people that I connected with, maybe finally I'd, I'd fit somewhere. And it just wasn't like that. It, it was a really difficult time for me in lots of ways. The ground kind of fell out from under me, really, in a way that it wouldn't do again until I got divorced a decade later. But that really was the catalyst for me getting into initially self-help and then from the meditation and therapy for myself as a client and then ultimately seeing the benefits of that and wanting to, to share that, I guess, getting quite passionate about mm-hmm. sharing that with other people. Yeah. Do you remember your first uh, experience as a as a client in therapy? Mm. How, how was it? That's a good question. I I remember feeling very nervous. I remember feeling like it was a very almost like a self indulgent thing to do. Like what? Like this mm. feels like a very strange thing to be doing. To and and actually, my very first experience of therapy, looking back, I was very closed. You know, 
I, I thought I was being open, but I was open in a very safe, intellectual way. I could analyze myself and talk about myself, but there was no real vulnerability in it. That was that was a very alien thing to me at that time. Mm, interesting, yeah. I think the first the uh, first session or the first few sessions is quite hard to mm. to be in that environment where there's someone that listens to you properly, mm. you know, <laughs> and uh, it's almost unexpected mm. and you don't know how much to talk about and how much to share. And then with time, you just, uh, I think you just become um, more authentic mm. because we, it's almost that that's the environment that facilitates that uh, uh, honesty. Mm. Absolutely. I think I have a lot of respect for anyone that comes for therapy because it takes real courage. It takes balls. It takes real grit to come in and have the courage to face yourself and face your issues. And I think I know one of the things we might talk about today is men and masculinity. And I think especially for men, mm-hmm. um, or maybe we'll come back to this later, but especially for men, it's such a challenge. I've got such admiration for people that come in and face themselves in therapy. Yeah. So I think there are challenges on both ends, the mm. client and the therapist and I was curious, like, what's what is for you the biggest challenge as a as a therapist? I think the challenge, I think the hardest part of it, the the most challenging part of it is 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 holding space, is being able to just be present and meet somebody with that openness and that compassion, with those core conditions of you know accepting them as they are, that warmth, that empathy, that genuineness. I think that's a really radical, challenging thing to to do. It's something that as therapists, we're always trying to grow and and improve our ability to hold that. I think the other thing that maybe for me is even more challenging, and this is probably a personal thing, is the business side of it, is, you know, running my own business, is managing the the money and the finances and the organization of all of that. That for me has been the biggest learning curve in being in private practice. And you mentioned that, you work with both uh, women and men. Do you feel like you have more male clients or female clients or do men go to therapy? Mm. I think it's very, well, I think traditionally, especially women, women have been mm-hmm. the people that came for therapy. I think um, for many men, we felt like it wasn't for us. Um, maybe the therapy world has some responsibility in that, in that maybe we don't always pitch ourselves and the work that we do very well for men for the male audience mm-hmm. um but yeah i think most of my clients are women and i think most therapists are women too you know going back to my therapy training i think there were three men on the course one of them left quite early so there were two of us on the course with about 20 20 people mm-hmm. and um yeah I, I think it's quite female orientated but that's starting to change yeah, the same, the same for me. I've discovered I'm also um, studying psychotherapy, mm. and in our group of twenty people, we have four men, mm. and the difference is is quite obvious. Mm. And the same in um, all the other groups in our in our school. What's that like for you, as a man in that environment? Um, that's interesting. I try not to um, immediately move into the group of guys, you know, because I think we have mm. that tendency to to want to feel safe and accepted. So yeah. going to that group of men initially would have, would have been a safe bet, but uh, I've always mm. tried to, you know, sit with everyone in, in a different place. And uh, mm. inevitably we still develop that dynamic, you know, of group of mm. guys and then 
the rest of the group. But uh, I think we do encourage, you know, and our uh, teacher encourages everyone to um, sit in a, dip a different place and work with a different colleague. So that really helped. Um, and yeah, the group exercises, they really help because you don't have a choice, but just working with someone else. And I, I'm curious if you had the same uh, the same experience. Mm. That's really interesting because it was a bit different for me. I think um, because of some of my own stuff around masculinity and relationships with men, I think I was more comfortable relating initially to the, the females in the group. Mm -hmm. I think part of my own journey has been finding it more difficult to relate to and connect to men. Mm -hmm. um, that goes back to kind of childhood and relationships between mother and father and then being in school and feeling less like the other boys, you know, because I was the, the young lad who was a musician and was quite sensitive and quite quite different, you know, not into football so much and not into kind of cars and those kind of mm -hmm. things. So I always felt different and separate to men and maybe a bit kind of intimidated or threatened at some level because mm. I didn't feel like they were. Um, and when I actually first became a therapist, I found it much more comfortable to work even with female clients, which is mm -hmm. interesting. But what's happened for me over time is that certainly since my divorce and getting involved in men's work, that I've really started to integrate my own masculine energy or, or male identity and therefore feel much more comfortable now with male clients. Mm. It's really interesting. Interesting. And you mentioned masculine energy. Is um, mm. Maybe you can talk a bit about that. Like what is masculine energy and what do we all have it? Do women have it as well or feminine energy and how it mm. manifests? Mm. Good question. It, I think it's it's something that challenges people actually when I use that kind mm -hmm. of language, masculine and feminine energy, because you know a lot of people would argue that perhaps that gender is a construct and that there's no such thing as masculine and feminine energy. But I think perhaps for me, you know, we're talking really. You could use the the, the phrase yin yin and yang energy alternatively, but. I think we all possess that duality of masculine and feminine energy. We all possess within us these these two aspects that are either in or out of balance. And I think in my own life, because of my relationship with other men and, and the maleness, well, I think I, I'm a generation mm -hmm. of men, perhaps you are too, that grew up with the idea that the old way of being a man was bad. You know, the old way of being a man, the kind of stoic, um, macho, um, closed maleness that maybe we saw in fathers and grandfathers and in society at large, you know, this came to be seen as toxic. It came to be seen as, as wrong and that we had to, as men, become more sensitive, become more open. And I absolutely agree that we, we as men had to become more open and more sensitive, more in touch with our feelings because, you know, men in in the thousands kill mm. themselves because we aren't in touch with how we feel we aren't in touch with our unprocessed pain and i think that's tragic and, and something needs to change about that so we do need to come into our hearts men but i think sometimes we've done that at the expense of our bodies and and our kind of masculine primal edge 
and that we've sometimes left that behind in the view that it's toxic. And it was only after I got divorced and got into men's work and came across this great coach, Traver Bowen, who has been a real inspiration to me, that I really understood for the first time that that primal masculine yang energy isn't wrong, mm-hmm. isn't toxic. It's part of the whole. And that I'd spent 10 years cultivating my heart, cultivating spirituality and empathy and compassion, but I'd left behind balls and courage and drive and assertiveness and that kind of get up and go um, sense of purpose mm-hmm. and drive and, and ferocity, which I think we need to mm-hmm. all of us that exists in men and women, that, that, that energy. Interesting. And uh, how did you find out about Trevor and his work? What was an article, a book, or I think it was a podcast initially. Yeah, I think um, when I was going through that crisis around the divorce, the second big crisis so far in my life. I'm sure there might there could be more <laughs> to come, but um, that sent me back into personal development in in a big way, like that first one I'd done in my early twenties, like oh, almost mm-hmm. a decade, well, just over a decade later. Um, and this time. I kind of threw myself into podcasts and looking at coaches and therapists on Instagram, kind of new models of, of finding things out. And I just came across this this podcast with this guy, Trevor Bowen, who'd done all these amazing things, like spent a, a month in mm-hmm. in darkness <laughs> um, and, <laughs> you know, got and worked in the hospice and done all this work on himself. And he presented this paradigm, this new paradigm of masculinity, where he said mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't have to, choose between that primal stoic fierce driven energy and the open-hearted sensitive spiritual conscious energy that really being whole is manifesting both of them and you know Traver did come up with that as an idea it goes back to kind of Carl Jung mm-hmm. and, and archetypal stuff but he expressed it in such a way that really connected with me as a man and me as a man who had been very much until that point a sensitive new age nice guy if you like is the is the, the terminology mm-hmm. he uses and i guess he gave me permission to ring back in something that had always been there you know it come out sometimes when i enjoy lifting weights it come out sometimes in the gym this kind of mm-hmm. primal aggression it come out sometimes on stage because i'm a musician but i play guitar and what they were the only times the rest of the time it was kind of buried and disowned And hearing this idea of this integrated man was just a game changer for me. You can channel both energies, be both, be whole. Which is uh, definitely something we all want to do, but it's not easy. No, absolutely not. <laughs> And it's very much a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds great on paper, uh, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's something we all want to move towards. Mm, yeah, it takes a shit ton of work and it... it, it It takes a lot of work and it takes facing your shadow. It takes facing the stuff that you've disowned and ignored and suppressed and denied for, for so long that it's painful. And it's the journey I'm I'm still on. You know, I'm not there yet. It's a it's a path that's it's ongoing, you know, for all of yeah, us. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned a big word there, uh, the shadow. Maybe it'd be mm. good to like just <laughs> give a description, a definition of what it is, what it means for the people listening. Mm. Well, I think, again, referencing it to my own journey, I think <laughs> in that first 10 years, I kind of tried to ignore the shadow. I tried to pretend it wasn't there. 
that and focused on you know love and light and compassion and you know the, the kind of what seemed like positive healthy emotions gratitude but what i wasn't looking at was was the the the, the shit and the grime and the and the, the the shame and the struggle and the anger that was buried underneath all of that the parts of myself that i didn't want to face mm-hmm. the 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 parts of myself the the painful difficult emotions that felt less acceptable that felt less okay that mm-hmm. i just would like to prefer didn't exist so i'd like to pretend they weren't there but it was only when i started to and again this is very much a work in progress but started to face those shadows and work with them and acknowledge them that this second phase of growth and healing started to kick in yeah interesting so would you say that if you have um unexpressed emotions and things you haven't looked at about yourself would that go into the shadow yeah that's a good way of putting it it's um unexpressed pain unexpressed emotions parts of ourselves that we cut off Mm -hmm parts of ourselves that we don't find acceptable to ourselves or to the world at large. Like anger was part of mine, part of my disowning of my masculine energy, of my idea that it was toxic. I kind of felt like it wasn't okay to be, to be angry, that to be angry was toxic. So there was Mm -hmm. a lot of anger in my shadow, a lot of, you know, rage and fury that hadn't been expressed. But then what happens is when we shove things down into our shadow and don't face them, they leak, you know, they leak in our behaviors. They, they come out in passive aggressive behavior mm-hmm. or in, they leak in kind of outbursts. You know, maybe we, we get drunk or we get triggered and all of a sudden this calm, compassionate guy bursts out with this outburst of anger. And you're like, Oh, what, what, what the fuck yeah. was that? You know, but it's caused us all that anger in the, in the, in the shadows that has to be brought into the light for us to be healed mm-hmm. and whole, I, I believe. And anger, anger is a tricky one, isn't it? And I think most of us mm. didn't have uh, our parents modeling uh, anger or clean anger for us. And we kind of shamed anger when it's just an emotion. It can, it, it is healthy to express it sometimes instead of keeping it in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that phrase, clean anger. I've not heard that before, but it, it makes a lot of sense. It's anger often is contaminated by all this other stuff it's it's passive aggressive or it's it's really toxic um aggressive mm-hmm. damaging anger that hurts people that, that, that but anger can be expressed in a clean healthy way i totally agree yeah, yeah. and do you feel that uh, well first of all what is men's work and how what's the benefit of mm-hmm. that and do you feel like these issues these shadow issues would um would might uh, might be integrated if you start doing men's work mm, i think so i think just just coming into men's work at all was part of me having to mm. face my shadow because maleness masculinity was was in my shadow <laughs> but yeah i think shadow work is a is a big part of what men's work needs to look like if it's going to be really useful and healing but to, to rewind a minute to what you just said about yeah what is men's work I guess it's just the idea that that men we have some work to do to 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 Mm -hmm. deal with our shit you know to deal with our pain because we uh, i don't like to speak too much in generalizations but maybe it is fair to say that men as a whole have a lot of 
unprocessed, untapped pain that many of the men I speak to in life, but also in the therapy room feel lost. Mm. They feel confused. They don't quite know who they are, where they fit in the world. They don't quite know how to be in their relationships. And they have all of this pain that they don't know how to, how to process and how to deal with. Um, and I think that part of that work has to be done with other men. That's a, that was a revelation for me. You know, the, the therapy world, as, as, as we've discussed, and as you're finding too, is dominated by, by mm-hmm. females, by women. That, that women are drawn more to that kind of compassionate healing work. And, mm-hmm. and that's a great thing that, mm-hmm. that they can do that. But what worries me is where are the men? You know, where are the men that are coming into healing work and, and growth? And I think sometimes as men, we need to sit together with each other to heal our relationships with each other. And that has to be done together rather than with a female therapist. That might be controversial, but it kind of fits mm-hmm. with my experiences recently. Like I, I'm in therapy now mm-hmm. with a man for the first time and it's bringing up some different stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, like, well, how was with your therapist before and how is it with your male therapist now? And how does, how did it help you? Mm. Well, for me, it felt safer to talk to, to women, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's this kind of maternal archetype or whether it's this, this idea that women are more compassionate, more empathic, it kind of felt like it was okay to mm-hmm. open up to, to, to a woman. It felt easier. Although at the same time, there were other parts in the shadow, maybe around aggression, anger, around sex that felt less safe to say to women, women therapists, Mm -hmm. female therapists. Whereas now with my male therapist, just being in the room with him, opening up feels challenging. Just, Mm -hmm. just expressing any emotion feels quite dangerous. Actually. Can I do this with Mm -hmm. a man? Can I, can I admit to weakness? Can I admit to sadness? Can I admit to vulnerability? Um, do we do this? Is this okay? <laughs> yeah. But then on the other hand, some things like anger, aggression, and, and the whole world of sex and sexuality feel safer with another man in some way. It feels okay to bring some of that stuff out of the shadows with a male. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did have uh, both male and mm. female therapists and I, I had, uh, I learned a lot you mm. know, by working with both. Um, and you mentioned something like really key that um, we don't really share emotions and we're not really vulnerable with each other, men. No. It's almost like the place you never go, isn't it? Mm. And yeah, I don't know why. Mm. No, I agree. It's, you know, as men, I think it, it ties into that thing we said about men and suicide that, you know, mm. suicide's the biggest killer in the UK, I believe, of men under 40. Mm. That's a shocking mm. statistic to me. And men under 40, you said. That's what I've heard, yeah. yeah that the, yeah, the biggest yeah. killer of men under 40. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I believe deeply that's because we have this unprocessed pain that we don't talk about as men. We, you know, men talk about the football, the boxing, talk about cars, talk about mm-hmm. girls, you know, but we... we we don't often get real with each other. We don't often show up and say, 
do you know what? I'm really fucking hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And I think because we bottle all that up and we don't ask for help and we just try to, you know, I suppose we react to the conditioning we receive that, you know, big boys don't cry, man up. Um, mm-hmm. All of this stuff we hear from a very early age and the models we get from our fathers and, and kind of male elders about, you know, be stoic, don't express this, you know, don't cry even at a funeral, you know, you just keep it all down. Mm-hmm. I think that ultimately brings us down as men if we don't do something mm-hmm. with it. And it, if we don't kill ourselves, we drink ourselves into a stupor or we take drugs or we become addicted to pornography or we overeat or we gamble or we we do something to let that pain out or numb that pain to keep it shoved down. Yeah. And how can we invite more men to go into therapy or actually invite them to talk more about these problems that they have, but they don't want to talk about? How can we make that invitation, that safe space? Mm. Where can we start? That's a brilliant question. And I don't fully know the answer to it. It's something that it kind of formulates, it kind of goes around my head. Like, how do we do that? How do we, I was talking to my partner about it the other day. She's a, a therapist too. And I was mm-hmm. saying to her, you know, how do we do this? How do we make, how do we invite men into therapy? And because don't get me wrong, some men do come into therapy, but it tends to be men that already feel quite comfortable with emotion, it tends to be men that, are quite in touch with the hearts already, quite in touch with, say, spirituality mm-hmm. or, or personal development work. And I love working with those men. It's great. But the men we don't find in therapy are the men that need it most, are the men that are more cut off from the hearts. They're the men that maybe wouldn't even consider it or wouldn't get through the door. And I'm not sure how we get them in, get them in other than trying to communicate with men in their own language. I guess that's a big thing that I've seen Trevor Bowen do is he, he speaks in a language that, that men can resonate with. And that's something maybe I'd like to try to do with my male clients is to, you know, we, we have a unique relationship with each client and the way I relate to some of my male clients is different. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe it's just meeting them where they're at, you know, in, in a language mm-hmm. that they can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I had so many ideas in my head, but, uh, I lo- <laughs> I lost them all in in one second. <laughs> If they come back to you, let me know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you have this interesting article on your uh, site, which is, uh, coaching for men. And you talk about, uh, these values or these maybe almost like skills. So strong, but gentle, kind, but not weak. Uh, confident but not arrogant um, mm. and that all sounds good to me as as a man and uh, what mm. made you write that and what were where do you want to go with that and what do you want to tell men with that uh, article mm. I think that was my first attempt and I haven't gone back to that and read it for a while actually but that was my attempt at expressing what therapy or coaching might look like for men in a language that might appeal to men. And it was me trying to express this duality that we spoke about here mm-hmm. today. You know, we can be both vulnerable and strong. We don't have to choose. We can be in touch with our hearts and with our kind of primal 
essence as men that we can maybe form a kind of healthy paradigm of what it is to be a man which is what i found in in, Tra- in traver's work is this paradigm that just made sense to me this this you know lots of men are looking for an idea around how to be mm-hmm. a man the old the old paradigm doesn't work and this kind of more recent reaction against it the kind of new age sensitive nice guy mm-hmm. paradigm that feels incomplete you know it's and just to add there women don't like that well not in my experience no like the neither the old uh, paradigm which is the tough guy that never talks about his emotions mm-hmm. and neither the new type of sensitive guy that can't stand up for themselves women don't like either of those uh, uh, behaviors or personalities that's my experience too and and you know, perhaps it's controversial to say, but I, I think I'm on exactly the same page that actually, mm-hmm. you know, men say that they're confused about what women want from them, that they, mm-hmm. they feel like women are asking them to be more sensitive, more emotional. But then when they do that, they mm-hmm. then get a sense from women that, no, actually, I want you to be a man. You know, if somebody breaks into the house, <laughs> they want you to go down the mm-hmm. stairs and mm-hmm. see what's going on and be prepared to, to tackle that. And that kind of confusion can be settled straight away by just understanding this paradigm of being both being integrated. You can be in touch with your heart and still, you know, lift some heavy weights and know how to defend yourself and know how to stand Mm -hmm. your ground in a confrontation. And I think that is exactly what women want. And, you know, to to share something Mm -hmm. personal that my current relationship, I'm in an amazing relationship with a woman I really love uh, the best relationship mm-hmm. I've had. And we started as friends, but it only really went somewhere when I started to integrate this primal side that mm-hmm. she connected with me as a human being with my heart when I was open emotionally and sensitive. But it was only when I started to bring my primal masculine edge into myself, that she all of a sudden started to think of me in an, an attractive attraction way. And then she's somebody that has really been part of my journey and helping me to be both because she accepts both parts of me and loves both parts, the, the sensitive, open-hearted part, but also the primal masculine part. And I think, yeah, she agrees with me too, that women want men to be able to be both. Maybe they don't always mm. know how to ask for that or how to articulate it. And a lot of men maybe don't know how to, to show up that way. But I think there's really mm. something in this. Yeah, there's a lot we can talk about that. Um, just that dynamic male, masculine, sensitive and fierce energy. Mm. That yeah, there's so much we can talk there. Maybe we need another episode about that. <laughs> um, I was thinking to talk a bit about um, the difference between coaching and therapy, okay. and if you if you do both and what are differences who would benefit for one or the other okay um for me the the difference is that i do offer both um therapy Mm -hmm. for me i'm a trained therapist um in the uk at least you don't need any training particularly to be a coach um or Mm. or, yeah actually even therapy here is unregulated so anyone can call themselves a counselor Mm. but um, mm. Even so, most therapists, most counsellors have had kind of in-depth training, which isn't always the case with coaches. But that aside, I think the difference is about the goals 
and the often the duration of the work. For me, therapy is about going deep. Therapy is about really mm-hmm. getting to the root of your pain, really expressing that and, and going on that inward journey. And sometimes it's it's longer lasting work. Whereas coaching for me is more solution focused. It's more about, okay, these are my goals. Mm-hmm. These are where I want to be. This is who I want to be. How do I get there? And I think it's impossible to do that without also dealing with some of the pain. But I think it's about just how much you want to go into that and how much you want to drive yourself forward. I think it's a place for both. Mm, interesting. Um, and I want to pick up on something you, you wrote on your uh, one, of, one of your articles, which you said, um, often when you start counseling, you might feel worse before you feel better. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's, that's very important to, to mention that. And uh, if you want to talk a bit about what it means. Mm. Yeah. I <laughs> it's funny. I always feel slightly nervous when somebody says I'm going to bring up something you wrote because I write these things. I forget, I forget what I've written, but yeah, yeah. thankfully, <laughs> thankfully I still agree. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's an important point to bring home that, when you first start therapy, when you first start counseling, it brings out a lot of shit. It brings out mm-hmm. a lot of things that maybe you haven't been facing or been ignoring. And it can feel really difficult. It can feel really uncomfortable. It can feel really challenging. That isn't a sign that the therapy is making you worse. That's a sign that actually the therapy is doing exactly what it needs to do. It's bringing things out that need to be dealt with and processed so that we can fully heal. Somebody used uh, an analogy once years ago that stayed with me, that if we had a wound on our arm, we have to clean that wound out to make sure there's no infection before we can Mm -hmm. stitch it up. So I think sometimes in life we stitch up that wound and leave, leave the dirt inside and that it just kind of festers and leaks pus <laughs> so mm. therapy really is about cleaning out the wounds for me it's about bringing out all of that painful difficult stuff that needs to be dealt with that unprocessed pain so that we can heal and move forward so i just say to people to stick with it you know don't give up too mm. soon um with therapy it's, it's worth sticking through yeah for sure for me it's been a huge help in in my life at uh, different stages Mm. Um, and the other thing you mentioned in the same article was, um, you might want to wait until this is the right time to start therapy, like mm. next year or when I have the right job or when I have all the things in place. And, but there's something that's not, that's not the right way. If mm. you wait for the right time to start, then mm. I feel like you, you might miss out. Um, and I, I wonder what's your take on that. Mm. Yeah. Without sounding too to kind of um, spiritual and new age and Buddhist. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, right, the, right, the right time is now. You know, the, the, the present mm-hmm. moment is, is always for me the moment to begin. You know, we do it a lot in life, don't we? You know, part of my, mm-hmm. one of my struggles through life has been overeating. Um, something I've had to really work with, one of the ways that I dealt with my pain. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would always start the diet. I'll start on Monday. I'll start next week. <laughs> and that's what we do in life, isn't it? We, we mm-hmm, put things mm-hmm. off, whereas the time to start is always here and now because the stars never perfect, perfectly align. Things are never perfect. You know, perfection doesn't exist. There's mm-hmm. always going to be a reason not to do something. There's always going to be a reason not to begin to work on yourself. So I'd just, just encourage anyone 
that has some sense of wanting to grow, to heal, to change, to begin that work now. Yeah, yeah. And um, speaking of the the right time, I was uh, I was in a workshop recently, psychotherapy workshop recently, and uh, we were doing an exercise. And one of the ladies I was speaking to, she said that she's grateful for the pandemic that it happened. Mm. She's grateful for the lockdown that she can have some time off. Mm. <laughs> and that was a massive uh, shock for me like hearing mm. that and i was you know curious how many people live like that like you wait for something huge to happen in your life so you can take some time off um, yeah so hopefully yeah we, we can start be a bit more present um and not wait for a pandemic you know to, <laughs> yeah. to, <laughs> to give yeah. us some time off it's like, true well, so some of us wait until until our deathbed, you know? It's like mm. some people get all the way through life and get to the, like, 70, 80, 90 years old looking back mm. at their lives and just think, shit, I didn't live the way I wanted to live. You know, I didn't live the way that was true to me. There's this really interesting um, article I read years ago. Uh, mm. I can't remember who by, but she's she was a hospice nurse who had spent a lot of time with people who were dying and had mm -hmm. written about their regrets and the, the commonality between the, the kind of dilemmas and regrets that people faced in the last weeks and months of their lives. And it was a really stark and for me, inspiring insight into how we should live because these people on their deathbeds weren't wishing they worked harder they weren't wishing they'd accumulated more money they weren't wishing they'd be more successful in those very kind mm. of material worldly ways the regrets were you know they wished they'd been true to who they were rather than who other people expected them to be they wish they'd been had the courage to express how they really felt they wish mm -hmm. they'd maintained connection with the people who are important to them they wished and this was interesting this was particularly the men so maybe mm -hmm. this was because of um generational differences at that time but the men in particular wish they hadn't worked so hard you know they'd taken wow. more time to spend with their families more time mm -hmm. to spend on their hobbies and interests to actually be present and live their lives rather than driving forward to some future goal um, and then the final one of the five was they wished all of them that they'd allowed themselves to be happy. Whoa. Mm -hmm. To to allow themselves. Yeah. That's heavy, isn't it? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Who stops us yeah. but us? Mm. That was that was really useful, very interesting. Um I think a good question would be if someone wants to to find a therapist, how um where do they start? How how do they know if the therapist is a good fit? What should they look for? So I'd advise people in the UK to start by looking on either the counselling directory or the or psychology today. Both of those have excellent directories where you can search for counsellors and, and and psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. We a lot of us have profiles on there where you can see what we look like, get a bit of a flavor about how we work, who we are, our experience. And I'd advise people basically to choose somebody that, that they resonate with, somebody that they feel drawn to, somebody who, you know, clients often come to me because they tell me they like what I wrote. You know, they, 
you know, maybe they wanted a, a therapist of a certain age. You know, mm-hmm. at, um, at 35, I'm relatively young in the therapy world. <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a lot of, for a lot of counsellors, it's, it's kind of a second career and a lot of them are kind of in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people seek me out because I'm on the younger end. People mm-hmm. seek out people based on their gender. Either they want a male or a female. But the main reason is that people read what I write about myself and the way I work and they, they resonate with it. They like it. They, they want to work that way. So I'd read people's profiles and just see what feels, what draws you in. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's, that's a good way for us to, 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 to end. And, uh, if people want to find out more about yourself and the work that you do, where, where can they find you? So I'm, have pages both on Instagram and Facebook and I've got a website. So mm-hmm. my website is alancrawfordcounseling.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me Alan Crawford counseling on Instagram um, mm-hmm. and on Facebook too. And then you can read about me there, the way I work. I write some blogs on there and by all means get in touch. I'm always open to, to hear from people and, to answer any questions there's no obligation you know if you want to just ask some questions about therapy or how i work i'm always very happy to to, to chat with people awesome i will put those links in the episode description and thank you very much for doing the the podcast episode i uh, hope to do more in the future and uh, yeah looking forward for the feedback from people yeah thank you it was good to talk to you i hope we can do it again sometime that was great thanks Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alan. If you want to reach out to him, I've added his Instagram and his website in the episode notes. Also, if you found this episode interesting, please share it with a friend. Until next time, take care. This is Alex signing off.